It's time for the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP, WZAM, Ishpeming Marquette, Tanner Hoops with you. Thanks for being with us. The breaking news yesterday affecting the UP hockey scene is that the UP has made Kraft Hockeyville USA shortlist. Calumet is one of the four finalists to host Kraft Hockeyville 2019. And my next guest has some insight on the subject. Michael Caples of Michigan Hockey. You can check them out at mihockey.com on the phone line with us. Michael, appreciate you being on. Glad to have you, especially since Michigan's represented twice in the final four. We've got Calumet, of course, up here, and then Downstate Cadillac, one of the finalists for Craft Hockeyville 2019. Tell me about what Craft Hockeyville entails. You've been to it once before when it was up here in Marquette, and tell me a little about what fans who haven't been to it could expect. Yeah, Craft Hockeyville is a wonderful program uh, started by Craft and the NHL and the NHLPA a few years back to. Um, each and every season celebrate a special hockey community and help out a hockey rink in need. Um, as you alluded to, in 2016, the first Craft Hockeyville USA came to Marquette um, for much-needed funding and a preseason NHL game at Lakeview Arena in Marquette. Um, it's, a, it's a fantastic program, all done with um, online voting, um, getting the communities to, to rally and, and support one another. Um, in the quest to provide $150,000 and an NHL preseason game in a unique building uh, in need of a little bit of love and attention. Yeah, I tell you what, Calumet, looking to be the second UP town to have the honor in the last four seasons, and then Cadillac Downstate. But tell me about the hockey community that you've noticed from both the LP, the UP, and how much it would mean to Michigan to be able to host it again. Yeah, it would be fantastic. Um uh, I'm sure that most of your listeners know that hockey is not always the most affordable sport, and it's expensive to keep um, ice rinks in operation. And as we want to continue to uh, build our game, grow our game in such a hockey-crazy state, um, sometimes our rinks need a little bit of help. And uh, this is a wonderful opportunity for both Cadillac and Calumet to get some funding, um, raise some more awareness of the sport in the area, though, of course, Calumet, you don't need much more exposure for hockey than you already have up there. Uh, but, you know, it, it's a fantastic opportunity for either. We're thrilled that there's a 50% chance that Hockeyville is going to be coming back to Michigan for sure. Well, I tell you what, tell me if you have any insight on it. What was it that made the committee decide Calumet or Cadillac would be a good place to host Hockeyville? Yeah, you know, real quick, Cadillac, um, they were the Michigan Amateur Hockey Association Association of the Year in 2018. Um, we honored them at, at the Maha uh, Summer Meeting Banquet for doing such an outstanding job in their local community of growing the game. Um, but then they ended up in need of some, some massive repairs for their building, uh, the Wexford County Civic Center. They call it the Wex. Uh, they need some help with the machinery there to, to keep the ice going, and, and they've been hanging on, but... They sure could use some funding. And then uh, Calumet, you know, the, the glorified Coliseum, what can you say about it? It's the oldest uh, hockey rink in North America, built in 1913. Um, you know, and, and they love their hockey up there. And um, obviously a, a rink that's more than 100 years old can always use some TLC. So, uh, you know, it would be wonderful to, to both celebrate the game and and get some, some much-needed funding to help them with uh, rink repairs and rink maintenance and all that good stuff. Um, when, it came to, uh, when it came to Marquette a few years ago, uh, there was the $150,000 in, in rink funding, but there were also just a lot of other hidden benefits, like the NHL 
brought in new boards, new glass, um, some other things, you know, that people don't even realize are expenses that rinks have to take on um, that can really, really make the building shine and make things a little bit easier for the participants. So, you know, anything helps, and, and this is going to be a lot of fun this week. Vote for your favorite community between March 30th at 7 a.m. Eastern to March 31st at 11 a.m. Eastern. Go to crafthockeyville.com for more info and a vote. Michael, again, a senior editor for mihockey.com, Michigan Hockey, and really good resource for all things from pro to junior hockey in the state of Michigan. And, Michael, you've seen so much of it around our state, and you've seen uh, covered plenty of hockey. Tell me about some ways that you've seen the sport grow here in the state of Michigan. Yeah, you know, um, it's been a it's been a hockey hotbed for a long time. USA Hockey always talks about the three M's: Minnesota, Massachusetts, and Michigan. Um, and uh, you know, we love our hockey in Michigan, and it um, took a little bit of a hit, uh, you know, over the last little bit with the recession and everything. But I think we're we're coming back, and we've got a um, a new group of stars led by the Red Wings' own Dylan Larkin, kind of leading the charge to. Uh, bring kids to the game, and um, we just want to keep having more and more kids play hockey because it's a wonderful sport and it's a wonderful community. Um, it's great for, for the whole family to get involved with, and um, it's a sport that you can play um, when, you're, when you're little all the way up through past retirement. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful exercise, wonderful activity to have, um, not only just through high school, but, um, you know, you can keep playing in, in your adult leagues, beer leagues, like they like to call it. And, um, you know, you see news articles about guys that are 90 years old still lacing up their skates. So it's just a wonderful thing to be a part of, and we want to have more and more people uh, join us in, in the love of this game. Well, Michael, you mentioned the Team USA development program. They had that in Ann Arbor since they've moved it to Plymouth. How much does that help expose hockey in the state of Michigan, having something like that? Yeah, you know, it's uh, sometimes it feels like it's still a hidden gem, but um, it's a really special thing that we have here in Plymouth. I spend a lot of time at USA Hockey Arena because we have the, the best and brightest young hockey players from across the country come into Plymouth every year. Uh, they have two teams, the, the under-17 and the under-18 team. You come in for two years, and, um, and you have world-class training. You play against USHL teams, and then in your second year you play against NCAA D1 and D3 college programs. And, you know, you've seen the likes of Austin Matthews, Patrick Kane, um, Jack Eichel, Dylan Larkin. Um, just the, the names just go on and on and on. And it's, um, it's a wonderful experience for the kids, and it's a wonderful experience for the Michigan Detroit hockey community to get to know some of these guys before they're big famous NHLers for sure. Yeah, you talk about the USHL. I actually spent three years with Sioux City, Iowa, covering some okay. radio for them and uh, have a USHL background. But for those who may not know, we've got a really good USHL contingent in this area between Team USA, Muskegon, Green Bay's not far away for our listeners. But tell us about the USHL and how that can develop players in our state. Yeah, you know, the USHL is the top feeder system for college hockey. So if you... Uh you want to see the guys that are going to play for Michigan Tech or Northern Michigan or Michigan or Michigan State or any of the other programs in the area, you should check out the USHL. It's the top junior league in uh, USA hockey, and um, it brings in elite-level talent to get them ready to play college hockey. So you've seen uh, the likes of so many because the, the NCDP participates in there, but you have 
um, Kyle Connor and um, you know so many so many players that uh, that go on to be NHL stars uh, first you know laces up their skates in the USHL and then going on to uh, the college programs that they've committed to and um, it's a it's a great path for for kids to uh, get used to a, a pro college hockey lifestyle a little bit ahead of time and, and get ready for the show. Talk with Michael Capel, senior editor at Michigan Hockey, mihockey.com. Check them out. Michael, we saw the NCAA selection show just deviating to college hockey for just a second. Uh, the NCAA selection show last night, all Michigan teams were shut out just the second time since 1979 that's happened. It's disappointing, certainly, but it shows how much the standard has been raised here in Michigan where you know we expect that kind of hockey, competitive hockey, that's going to compete for a title in March. And Tell me about how some colleges around here have raised the bar for Michigan and you know how they can bounce back for next season. Yeah, you know, we're expecting a, a quick bounce back for sure. Western Michigan was just one or two wins away, and, um, and we've had uh, a great showing for Michigan Tech the last, uh, last few seasons, Ferris State. Um, you know, so it's not just the Big Ten programs of Michigan and Michigan State carrying the load. Um, all of our D1 uh, college hockey programs, all seven of them always are, are highly regarded and, and expected to be competing for conference championships and spots in the NCAA tournament. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's too bad that nobody reached the NCAA tournament this year, but it's also a testament to how much hockey is growing across the country. I mean, uh, this year we're going to see Arizona State playing in the NCAA tournament, which is pretty wild. Uh, I don't think anybody would have considered that 10 years ago, that Arizona State would have a NCAA D1 hockey program that was so good that they, they earned a bid to the NCAA tournament as an at-large team. So, um it's fun, it, you know, it raises the bar for everybody. It makes Michigan's teams have to work even harder. But, you know, we always have a great talent pool coming out of Michigan. And our, our, our coaches around here are wonderful, and they're going to do whatever's needed to make sure that we're back in the NCAA tournament next year. Well, I tell you what, it was a tough year for Spartan fans. It was a tough year for Red Wings fans. Still is a tough year, but both of them have something to feel good about. And Taro Hirose, three assists in three games. I mean, he's got to be a bright spot for both of them. Yeah, you know, I was pretty excited that one of the Michigan State kids left, but stayed in, in Detroit. You know, we didn't have to say goodbye to him because he's still going to be playing either in Grand Rapids or Detroit. Taro is a, a talented, talented hockey player. He's incredibly smart with the puck, and he's poised, and he's patient, and he does things almost every shift where you're left scratching your head wondering how he just pulled that off. An MSU personnel told me that he does it every day in practice, too, so it's not just a surprise in games. Um, he's a great addition for the Red Wings, and uh, you know, he might not be at full-time status with the big club next year, but we'll be able to watch him play for the Griffins as he settles into a pro hockey career, and maybe he's going to be a full-time Red Wing one day. It's exciting to watch. Michael Caples from Michigan Hockey, MIHockey.com, senior editor there, here to talk a little craft hockeyville with Calumet and Cadillac being two of the four finalists. Michael, as always, appreciate you taking the time. Hope to have you on again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. Take our first time out. More on this after this on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Well, as of last night, we now know the field of 16. The NCAA bracket is set. And I'm not talking basketball. I'm talking hockey. 
We've all been filling out our brackets for the NCAA basketball tournament. All but one of us have had them busted already. But hockey revealed its field of 16 last night. We now know the matchups and the path to the Frozen Four. St. Cloud State will be the top overall seed. They get a one seed along with Duluth, Minnesota State, and UMass, who's in the tournament for the first time since 2007. So let's go inside the matchups and break them down region by region. Over in Fargo is where the top seed St. Cloud was sent. They will take on American International College, who gets in as the automatic bid from the AHA. You have Denver taking on Ohio State. They were 8-9 in the overall pairwise comparisons. Allentown, Pennsylvania sees Minnesota Duluth take on Bowling Green, who did sneak in. So the WCHA will be represented by... Two teams, they got in as the 15th overall seed in the pairwise, 16 make the cut. Then Quinnipiac gets into that regional as well. They will take on Arizona State, who's in the big dance for the first time ever. Out in Providence, a tough draw for Minnesota State of Mankato, the WCHA champion. They are the number one seed in that regional, but it's essentially a road game for them in the first round of the tournament against Providence, who's the 14th overall seed, the fourth in that region. Again, it's going to be at Providence's home. It's a really tough draw for them. And then Northeastern was the sixth seed in the pairwise comparisons. They're the two in this regional as they draw Cornell in the first round. Then in Manchester, New Hampshire, you have UMass taking on Harvard in the 1-4 matchup in that regional. Clarkson is the two. They draw Notre Dame, who's playing really well right now, and wins the Big Ten Conference this weekend. So while we want to talk about who made the tournament this year, looking at the teams that did get into the big dance, what about who's not? Michigan didn't make it. Minnesota's out. BU, BC, North Dakota. All the usuals, all the powers, did not make the cut this season. In fact, those five teams, again, BU, BC, Minnesota, Michigan, and North Dakota, it is just the first time since 1970 that all of those teams have been shut out of the NCAA hockey tournament. First time since 1970, and that's back when only four made the cut, when it was only a four-team national tournament. So none of those usual suspects are in. However, Arizona State is. Something that even five years ago was inconceivable. But let's break down the bracket we do have and go region by region. Let's start out in Fargo, where you've got the top overall seed, St. Cloud State. They've been number one in the rankings for most of the season, taking on the lowest seed in the tournament, AIC, who again was mid-30s in the pairwise comparisons this year. They are in because of the automatic berth from Atlantic Hockey. So St. Cloud State, last year they were in a similar position. Different coach, but they were still a number one seed the tournament. They were a lot of people's pick to win the national title as they are this year. And then they get upset in the first round by Air Force out in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. They played that game, and Air Force is a four seed upset the popular pick to win the national title. Will it be the same this year? I think last year's Air Force team is better than this year's AIC squad, But that's the beauty of college hockey, so much parity, and it's what first-year head coach Brett Larson said last night on ESPNU. The parity in college hockey is what sets it apart from several other sports. I give a ton of credit to Brett Larson, first-year head coach. He was an assistant last year at Duluth where they won a national title. Now he's got the Huskies in a very familiar spot. 
And I'm partial to Brett Larson because he was a former head coach with the Sioux City Musketeers where I spent three years broadcasting in the junior leagues. But let's face it, he's done a fantastic job. Everything was set up for this St. Cloud team to have a down year. They go into the tournament riding high last year. They get upset by Air Force in the first round. They lose their head coach, takes off for an in-state rival at the University of Minnesota. But you fast forward to the present, and Brett Larson has this team as a top overall seed. Minnesota's not in the tournament. The big question mark for them is going to be Ryan Palin. He's a top NHL prospect of the Montreal Canadiens. He was injured during the conference semifinals, did not play in the championship game on Saturday, which they lost to Duluth in overtime. So Ryan Paling is going to be the big story, whether he can go, what percent he's going to be at, if he's going to be effective in the NCAA tournament. They've still got not one but two Hobie Baker candidates on that team and Jimmy Schultz and Patrick Newell, but Ryan Paling adds a whole other dimension. Now, I'm not saying they need Ryan Paling to beat AIC, but they probably need Ryan Paling if they want to win the NCAA tournament. Nonetheless, they are the popular pick to win the NCAA tournament again this year, including the pick of John Butchergrass, one of the most renowned hockey minds here at ESPN. I still think that they're one of the three teams who can actually win the national title. I think there are three teams I'm really confident in, Two and a half, maybe, right now. St. Cloud and Duluth, for sure. And then Minnesota State. I know that's cliche, pick the top three teams. But I tell you what, I've said that for a while now. I don't know about Minnesota State anymore. I'm not as confident in them. But they'll make a run. I'm not ready to predict a Frozen Four yet. I'll get back to you on that. I'm going to keep on crunching the numbers, see how things play out until Friday when the tournament starts. I tell you what, you look on the other side and the first opponent for St. Cloud State, AIC, American International College. This was a team that won eight games two years ago. Last year they had a losing record. This year they win their conference regular season and tournament. They have a 22-16-1 record, so they're, they're going in the right direction. I give Eric Lang a ton of credit for the job he's done over at AIC and building that program, putting themselves on the map. But they're just not at that point where they can compete with the St. Cloud States, the Duluths of the world. They're trending in the right direction, don't get me wrong. And anything can happen in one game. I'm not saying they can't beat St. Cloud State. Because again, anything can happen in one game, especially in the tournament. And St. Cloud State, after what happened last year, knows that better than anybody. But AIC is very much a long shot to win the tournament. I'm not, I don't know that anyone has AIC make it a run or even winning multiple games in the tournament but the thing is they are in the tournament for the first time in school history this is a program that maybe isn't where they want to be yet but they're going in the right direction and again a team that won eight games two years ago making the tournament now that's a team to watch out for in the coming seasons here's going to be a really fun matchup to keep an eye on the 8-9 and nine overall seeds in this tournament, Denver against Ohio State. You have David Carl, another first-year head coach. In fact, he's the youngest head coach in all of college hockey at just 29 years old. Took over for Jim Montgomery when he took over the Dallas Stars job in the offseason. And yet, here they are. Denver's right back to being a prominent power. As an 8-seed overall in the same bracket as St. Cloud State, that could be a toughie. 
but a Denver against St. Cloud championship game, at least in that regional, to make the Frozen Four? That's going to be a lot of fun for the fans up there in Fargo. But first, got to get by Ohio State. That's a game that people are going to want to get tickets for. And just like their coach, the Pioneers are young. They're a young team, but this is still a squad that won the national title two years ago. And they've still got quite a few pieces from that team. The thing that worries me about them is their depth at defense and their goalie situation. Now, their top player is Ian Mitchell, defenseman that's heading to the Chicago Blackhawks when things are said and done for his college career. But they're not deep at the defensive end. They're talented there with Mitchell, always productive, always reliable, but they're not deep there. In regards to their goalie situation, it worries me that we're this far into the season and they still don't have a clear number one. Philip Larson and Devin Cooley have both done excellent in net this year, but it worries me that one of those two hasn't been able to separate themselves from the other. Because what's the old saying when you have two quarterbacks, you don't have any? And I'm not saying that's the case with Denver, but at this point, you should have one guy. You should know your guy by now. That's what worries me about this Denver team. The good news for them is that they're both playing well. They need to go up against Ohio State, a Frozen Four team last year and this year's Big Ten regular season champions. They took an early exit in the Big Ten tournament. They got the first round by, got to the semis, and they got thrashed by Penn State 5-1. to one. But yet they were locked to go to the NCAAs. And now they're trying to make it back to the Frozen Four for the second straight year, a program that's really been coming in the right direction. And it's been led by their seniors, as they should be. Mason Yops, the captain for that team, and Tanner Lixinski, a guy I had the chance to cover in the USHL, who is heading to the Philadelphia Flyers when his collegiate career is all said and done. Their offense stems from their defense and from their goaltending. That's where they're the most solid, and then they're opportunistic on offense. They don't put up a lot of shots on you, but they're efficient, and the ones that they do get on you, they connect on most of the time. They're probably the most efficient offensive team in college hockey this season. Let's get to the Allentown Regional before we hit the break. The number two overall seed is the defending national champions from Minnesota Duluth, and they boast a ton of NHL prospects, namely Mikey Anderson, a defenseman that I had the chance to cover when he was with the Waterloo Blackhawks in the USHL, a defenseman who will be heading to the Los Angeles Kings once his collegiate career is said and done with. Anderson, along with Dylan Sandberg, a Winnipeg Jets prospect, are forming what's likely the best blue line in college hockey. Minnesota Duluth's strength comes from their defense, and then they've got scores as well. They've got a lot of speed skaters who can get out on the break, guys like Nick Sweeney, who won them the conference tournament in overtime this weekend, and then Hunter Shepard, one of the most reliable goaltenders that they've seen maybe ever in their program, a guy who's a finalist for the Mike Richter Award. He's going to give you a chance to win night in and night out, and he's going to give Minnesota Duluth a fantastic chance at a repeat. They are going to get matched up with a team that our listeners are very familiar with over the last few weeks, the Bowling Green Falcons. Maybe a little bit of a surprise to make the tournament as an at-large bid. They went into the weekend thinking they had to beat Minnesota State in the conference finals to get the automatic bid. And they almost did out in Mankato, falling in overtime 3-2. Nonetheless, head coach Chris Bergeron has this team in the NCAA tournament for the first time since 1990. When Jerry York was still the coach of the Falcons, he was leading a team that was led by Dan Bilesma and Rob Blake. 
Bowling Green was red hot out of the gates this season. They were a top 10 team in the rankings at one point. Then they started cooling off a little bit. And Bowling Green just didn't have the same magic they had early on. They got things figured out toward the end. They may be the 15th overall seed, but this is a really tough draw for Minnesota Duluth because Bowling Green has the second best penalty kill in the country. They have the second lowest goals against average, and they're still top 10 in the country in scoring. So they may not be a team that's going to make a deep run into the tournament. If they can get all that clicking every single night, then yeah, we'll see what happens. But for one game where anything can happen, that's a really tough draw for Minnesota Duluth. The other matchup in that regional has Quinnipiac taking on Arizona State. The Q have been one of the most balanced teams, if not the most balanced. Maybe that's not even the right word. Maybe consistent, consistently good at both ends of the ice. They are top five in goals scored per game and top five in fewest goals against per game. Quinnipiac has been the epitome of balanced and consistently good. And that's why they're in the NCAA tournament. It also helps to have Chase Prisky, a defenseman that's property of the Washington Capitals when his collegiate career ends. He is a Hobie Baker finalist. He's arguably the biggest reason why the Q is having the success that they are. And I say arguably because of goalie Andrew Shortridge. He's put up a 941 save percentage in 25 games this year. 941. That's ridiculous. He's going to give... Quinnipiac a shot every single night. And don't forget Odin Tufto, a sophomore that's really come on strong for the Bobcats this year. And I'm, again, biased Odin because he's a former Sioux City Musketeer. Had the chance to cover him during the 2017 Clark Cup run. They've got that team trending in the right direction. They're going to be a tough matchup in the opening round for Arizona State, who's in the tournament for the first time ever. Again, who would have ever thought we'd see the day where Arizona State makes the tournament Minnesota, Boston College, Boston U, North Dakota, they don't. Arizona State has been a Division I hockey program for just four years. But led by goaltender Joey Decord and Ottawa Senators prospect, Arizona State has got it clicking. And they're into the tournament. Now, the thing that is going to hamper them, you remember a few weeks ago they were playing Minnesota and one of their top defensemen, Jacob Wilson, laid out a Minnesota Golden Gopher, Sampo Ranta. They called him for an illegal hit, ended up getting thrown out of that game and suspended for two more. So, since Arizona State's an independent, they didn't have a conference tournament here over these last few weeks for Wilson to make up that suspension. So, unless Arizona State makes the Frozen Four, Wilson's season is done. That's the price you pay for being an independent. For that reason, I think it's going to be really hard for anybody to pick Arizona State to be a legit contender in this tournament, coupled with the fact that, again, without a conference tournament, they haven't played in four weeks. But Johnny Walker is the nation's leading goal scorer, and they are the first team to make the NCAA tournament as an independent since 1992, when Alaska Anchorage did it. So no matter what happens, they get bounced in the first round or they go on a run, this is a season that defines hockey expansion. Arizona State is showing that it can be done. You go way out west, be an outlier for everybody, don't have a conference, don't even have a nice arena, and yet they can put together the season they've done, have the success that they have. No matter what happens, what a season for ASU this year. We've got two regionals left, but we owe you a timeout. When we come back, we'll break down Providence and Manchester. All that coming up next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. 
Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you just across the bottom of the hour. Here is your Sports Center update. The Milwaukee Brewers have traded NLDS hero Eric Kratz. The Brew Crew opens the season Thursday at home against St. Louis. Meanwhile, the Wisconsin women's hockey team won the NCAA national title yesterday with a 2-0 win over Minnesota. Badger goaltender Kristen Campbell was the tournament's most outstanding player. And finally... Fox has announced that they will not be bringing back Dave Wanstad for their college football pregame coverage next season. Instead, they're replacing him with Urban Meyer and Reggie Bush. That's what Fox is going on over there. Dave Wanstad out, Urban Meyer, Reggie Bush. I don't. Is that an upgrade? I don't know. They're in, though. They're in over there at Fox. It is the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Glad to have you along with us on your Monday afternoon. We have got the Providence and Manchester regionals of the NCAA Hockey Tournament to break down for you. And we start in Providence with the third overall seed, Minnesota State of Mankato. They won both the WCHA regular season and tournament titles, and they did so handily. They really ran that league and ran away with it this year, and Northern fans know how good they are when they came here at the end of January. So once again, it's a tournament with sky-high expectations for the tournament's number three overall seed. They are in the big dance for the fifth time in seven years, but the problem with Minnesota State, they're one of those teams that doesn't have the March mindset. I said in basketball, I don't pick Virginia to go to the Final Four anymore because they can win in the regular season. They can't win in March. That's been Minnesota State's big problem over the last few years. They've made the tournament five of the last seven seasons, but they've never won a tournament game. But yet, they're a team that could contend for the national title. They're in such a weird spot because you don't know if you're filling out your college hockey bracket, how far should I make Minnesota State go? They're fundamentally solid, especially on the defensive end. Their defensemen led by Cooper Mackey as well as their goaltending, fantastic. Their 1.71 goals against average is the best in the nation, and they boast some of the best forwards in the game. And then they've got some defensemen who can put it in the back of the net. So everything about this team fundamentally says they're going to go on a deep run. But history makes me think otherwise. Their first round matchup is a toughie. And this is where maybe some of that history could come into play. They've got to play Providence, the 14th overall seed in the pairwise, in Providence. Providence gets to host a regional, and they may be the fourth seed in that regional, but suddenly they could be giving Minnesota State some trouble. Providence is a team that people were talking about could be a dark horse for the Frozen Four, even as little as two weeks ago. And then they get bounced early in the Hockey East tournament. They get bounced by Boston College two weeks ago. And suddenly people are really questioning Providence because they kind of limp into the NCAA tournament. Nonetheless, they have one of the nation's best goaltenders appropriately named Hayden Hockey, and they've got a veteran defensive core that is going to take some of the pressure off the younger forwards. Forwards, of course, led by Jack Dugan, a center who is property of the Vegas Golden Knights. Not a lot of experience there, but there is a lot of talent. They're going to need to keep this a low-scoring game. Minnesota State's probably thinking the same way. This is a game where I would be shocked if the two teams combined for more than three goals. Expect a 2-1 score in this one. And I tell you what, this whole bracket may end up being low-scoring. That Providence Regional features maybe the best goalie pool out of any of the regionals because... 
Northeastern, the sixth overall seed in this tournament, is led by Caden Primo, who's off to join the Montreal Canadiens when his time with the Huskies is said and done. Primo has been an absolute rock betwixt the pipes this year, a 936 save percentage. He was the MVP of both the Beanpot and the Hockey East tournaments, which, by the way, Northeastern won. This was supposed to be a rebuilding year for Northeastern. They lost a lot of key pieces last season, but anytime Primo is out on the ice, he's going to give you a chance to do something special. They've got a good group back there in the defensive line, especially with Jeremy Davies. One of my favorite things in hockey is an offensive-minded defenseman. And Jeremy Davies is exactly that. He's out there looking to score. I love it when defensemen score goals. They've got him. They've got freshman phenom Tyler Madden, who's been one of the best first years to play the game this year. Northeastern could absolutely be a team to watch out for in the tournament. They will face the Cornell Big Red, a team with a lot of question marks surrounding them as they go into the tournament. It was an emotional loss in the ECAC championship game on Saturday night. They fall in overtime 3-2 against Clarkson, but it's a bigger loss in the sense that goaltender Matt Galata was lost with an injury in that overtime session. They're going to need him if they want to make a run in this tournament. Again, I said this is probably the regional with the best goaltending out of the four, this Providence regional. And they are going to need Matt Galata big time if they want to make a run in this tournament. Nonetheless, they've got a good group of skaters led by Morgan Barron, a winger that will be property of the New York Rangers, a former Sioux City Musketeer as well. A big heavy hitter who can get out and skate. He scores the puck really well, and he's not afraid to get down and dirty right in front of the crease, throw his body around, and get a deflection. You're going to need some of that when you've got goaltenders like Hayden Hockey and Caden Primo in this regional you have to get their head on a swivel. You've got to get them moving out in front. That's going to be where a guy like Morgan Barron is going to pay big dividends for Cornell. The final regional takes place in Manchester, New Hampshire, and the number one seed will be the UMass Minutemen. They're in the tournament for the first time since 2007. They were number one in the rankings at one point this year. Back before Christmas, it was their first ever number one ranking, and they won the conference regular season title for the first time ever out in Hockey East. It's been a historic run for UMass, led by Kale Maker, a defenseman who's not only a Hobie finalist, but he's a favorite. He's one of the top players in all of college hockey this year, but what makes this Minuteman team so dangerous is their ability to distribute the wealth up front. Their balance among their forwards and their offensive-minded attack is what has made them the team that they are this year. My two biggest concerns with them, one, their goalie situation. Like Denver, they don't seem to have that number one option. For a while, it looked like Matt Murray. It looked like the former Fargo 4 standout was the guy in net. But now, maybe Philip Lindbergh is starting to make his name known a little bit more. And this is the point of the year where you should have a number one option. Again, good problem to have if you've got two good goalies. But that balancing act, that can be really tough. That can be a distraction, especially at this point in the season. My other biggest worry for them is who they play in the first round. They are taking on the Harvard Crimson and Adam Fox, their defenseman who's heading on to the Carolina Hurricanes after this. Fox, a former standout for the Team USA Juniors, is one of the best in all of college hockey. He's my favorite defenseman to watch. Harvard is one of the most dangerous four seeds, if not the most. I say maybe because of Providence. You know, they're a four seed. They've still got talent there, even though they stumbled late in the year, and they get to host their regional. Talent-wise, though, I think Harvard might be the most dangerous four seed in all of the tournament. This is a really tough draw. 
for a UMass team that doesn't know how to win in the tournament, or at least we don't think they do. It's been a long time since they were here. They haven't even been to the tournament in 12 years. Do we know that they know how to win come postseason time? Because they didn't in Hockey East. UMass took an early exit in the Hockey East semis after winning the regular season title. Big difference between teams who can win in the regular season and teams who can win in the post. And that's why I don't think UMass is going to win this regional. It's been a great year for them. They're a number one seed in their region. But I don't see them coming out of it. I don't know who's going to win that regional yet. I just don't get the feeling that it's UMass. It could be Harvard. You have the aforementioned Fox, the offensive-minded defenseman, plus... You can't go to the box against the Crimson because they have the best power play in the country at 28.8%. You cannot take penalties against them. They will make you pay. The final matchup in that regional has Clarkson against Notre Dame. Clarkson is a team that might be playing their best hockey right now. They're a team that's playing their best hockey at the right time. They've always been above average, pretty good this season. For the most part, they've been one of those teams that's not really been thought of as a contender, maybe a dark horse, and then all of a sudden, here they come, like a locomotive through the postseason. They are playing red-hot hockey right now as they head into Manchester to take on Notre Dame, another team that's playing really well right now. You have two of the hottest teams that are both coming off wins in their conference tournament championship games. Clarkson will rely on Nico Sturm, their center, a Hobie Baker finalist, you have to trust that he's going to do his thing and give you a chance to win night in and night out. But then you've got Jake Keeley, one of the top goaltenders in the country. Those are going to be the players to watch for Clarkson, but really their success is going to depend on their veteran group. They've got a lot of experienced guys. They have a fantastic junior class. That's where their wins in this tournament are going to come from. They're not a team that's going to be the most skilled by any stretch in the tournament. But they're going to be one of the most veterans, and sometimes that's more important. They, again, take on Notre Dame, a team that might be peaking at the right time, led by Andrew Peak, their senior defenseman property of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Notre Dame knew that they probably needed a deep run in the Big Ten tournament. If they win it, they get in automatically. But they were a team that was not in the top 16 in a lot of the bracketologies early on. They went on a run late and they found a way to win enough to get into the tournament. They even earned a three-seed after taking down Penn State in the Big Ten Championship 3-2 to on Saturday night. The Fighting Irish made the Frozen Four in each of the last two years. They made the national title game last year, fell 2-1 to against Duluth, but this is a much different Notre Dame team than those that have taken the ice in the last couple of seasons. Those Fighting Irish teams were loaded with scores and with depth. This Fighting Irish team... Doesn't have the scoring it had the last couple of years. Jake Evans is gone. Joe Wegworth, one of their top wing players, was lost for the season around New Year's. It's not a team that is going to really outscore you, not like fighting Irish teams in the past. But between guys like Peak and Matt Hellickson, their defense is outstanding. And Kale Morris, the defending Mike Richter award winner, is going to give you a chance to win night in and night out. And his 931 save percentage is a big reason why Notre Dame's able to survive their lack of offense. Could Notre Dame win this regional? Absolutely they could. But if they're going to make another run to the Frozen Four and even to the national championship game, they're going to have to find a few more guys who can score the puck because right now seniors like Dylan Malmquist, Bobby Nardella, sophomore Colin Tyson, they're all carrying the load for this team. Notre Dame's not balanced scoring-wise. They're going to have to be if they want to make a run in the tournament.
That's a look at all 16 teams in the NCAA hockey tournament. Again, regional play will start this weekend, and we will know the Frozen Four field by Sunday. We have that bracket set. Let's take a look at another bracket. Again, polls are open for the greatest movie of all time voting on ESPN-UP's Twitter. We had the championships for all of our regionals, so now we're down to a Final Four. Here are the results from the regional championships. For the greatest football movie of all time, our listeners said, Remember the Titans, 70% of the vote compared to 30 for the longest yard. So our listeners believe that Remember the Titans is the greatest football movie ever. Again, basketball and hockey shared a regional. Fans voted Space Jam as the best basketball movie. Miracle is the greatest hockey movie. The overall winner between those two, Space Jam with 67%. Space Jam is moving on to the final four. Greatest baseball movie of all time, Sandlot or Moneyball? 69% voted for The Sandlot. It wins the title of ESPN-UP's greatest baseball movie of all time. And the final category, the miscellaneous regional, Happy Gilmore took it over Caddyshack 64-36. to So we now have a final four for the greatest movie of all time. Football, remember the Titans? Basketball slash hockey, Space Jam? Baseball, The Sandlot, and Miscellaneous, Happy Gilmore. So the final four matchups, we're going to find out this week. You can vote on Twitter. Polls open at four. You can vote until midnight. You have Remember the Titans against Space Jam in one of the semifinals. On the other side, The Sandlot against Happy Gilmore. We will know what our listeners' favorite sports movie ever is by the end of the week. We owe you our last time out when we come back. Rob Gronkowski rocked the sports world yesterday, announced his retirement from football after nine seasons. We'll reflect on his career next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Thanks for hanging out with us on your Monday afternoon. About ready to send you into your Monday evening once we hit the 5 o'clock hour. Well, I tell you what, we've touched on hockey quite a bit. We talked a little about basketball. That's pretty much what the world was focused on yesterday. Hockey, basketball, and the brackets that go with it. But football. Football was making some news yesterday. Rob Gronkowski on his way out. Maybe another player on his way in, it, in some sense anyway. It's comeback season in a way for Johnny Manziel, but he's going to need to come back in his personal life first. We will get to that, but first Rob Gronkowski announced his retirement after nine NFL seasons. You knew it was something he was thinking about. I'm not surprised by it, the way that the guys in the lab had to stitch him back together every week just to get him on the field. Rob Gronkowski, a guy who's going to go down as one of the greatest to ever play the game, maybe the best tight end ever. Three Super Bowl championships in nine years. He will close his career as the NFL's all-time leader among tight ends in the categories of yards per game at 68.3, yards per target at 9.9, and touchdowns per game at 0.69. He also... Ranks 8th best in receptions per game at 4.5 and 4th best in yards per reception at 15.1. You knew it was probably coming for Gronk and you got to give him credit for making the decision to walk away. He goes out on top. But is it over for Rob Gronkowski? His agent, Drew Rosenhaus, believes it may not be. 
Drew Rosenhaus on Get Up said, quote, If the team was struggling or they needed him at some point next year, and let's say hypothetically Tom Brady gave him a call and said, Rob, I need you. I wouldn't be shocked if he came back to play a few games. That's from Drew Rosenhaus, Rob Gronkowski's agent. So Gronk may be shutting the door, but is he doing it completely? What if Gronk comes back midseason next year? Drew Rosenhaus seems to think it's a possibility. I don't know why he would, though. And don't get me wrong, I love the NFL with Gronk. It's not going to be the same. I'm already missing Rob Gronkowski in an NFL uniform. But why would he come back? Again, he's the NFL's all-time leader in several categories. He'll go down as one of the best to ever play the game. Should be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's won three Super Bowls in nine years. He's going out on top. Why would he come back? What more is there to accomplish for Rob Gronkowski? I love the guy. I hate to see him go, but I know the physical stress that he was under, what football was doing to his body. It was the right time for him to make that decision. But I don't know why he would come back. I just don't see the logic in it. What more does he want to accomplish? What I'm hoping is that this isn't the end of us seeing the party animal in the public image. The ultimate party animal. Wouldn't want to party with Grok. Hopefully we'll see a little bit more of him, maybe on NFL Sundays. Get him as an analyst. I'm sure ESPN would love to have him. Come in the booth? Why not? Monday Night Football job is open. You think Grok would be interested? Would you rather have Peyton or Grok? You know, maybe we get a few more Grok commercials, do a few more Tide Pod ads. As much as I hate it, he's making the right decision for his physical health by retiring now. Retirement is on Gronk's mind. It is not on Johnny Manziel's mind. Comeback season officially in the works for the former Heisman Trophy winner. Last night, he made his AAF debut for the Memphis Express, a team that came from behind to win in overtime over Birmingham. First ever overtime game in the history of the Alliance, by the way. So Johnny Manziel actually didn't look too bad last night. Had a few nice highlight reel plays. It's good to see Johnny get back to full form. I'm, I'm cheering for Johnny. I still am. I still hope that things work out for Johnny. He just can never seem to stay out of his own way. And this is probably his last chance. If he blows it here, then what? So things might be looking up. Maybe it's too early to tell. But at least last night was a positive sign for Johnny Manziel getting back to looking fairly capable in a professional football setting as quarterback of the Memphis Express. Things, however, are not looking up in his personal life. I said on the show last month, his wife was accused of cheating at a half marathon. She ran the first half of the marathon in about 90 minutes and the second half in less than 30. So she was accused of that. They went into the public spotlight for that. The same week, Johnny had been kicked out of the CFL. Well, things aren't getting much better between those two. Sorry to say, Johnny's wife, Instagram model Brie Tiezi Menzel, accused him of cheating on her. She went off on him on social media this week. She fired up a tweet storm that would make Donald Trump proud. She scrubbed Johnny from her Instagram page. So while Johnny has done some stupid stuff in his career, last night was a big step for him to getting back on track. I know he struggled with some mental health issues, bipolar disorder and what have you, I do think he's trying to get back on the right track and making a serious effort to get his life squared away. 
and he took a big step forward last night, getting back on track with his football career, or at least it was a positive step for his football career. I don't know if the accusations of him cheating have any validation or what have you, but I do know that Bree Manziel vehemently believes those allegations. Because while Johnny was taking the first step to getting his career back on track, she wasn't in the stadium, she wasn't watching the game anywhere. Bree Manziel decided to hit the strip club. Instead of watching her husband try to get his career back on track again, I don't know if the cheating allegations are real or not. I'm not trying to take sides here. But she definitely believes that there's some truth to the allegations that Johnny cheated on her. So what does this mean for Johnny football as a football player? Last night he completed three of five passes for 48 yards. He had one pass go for 36. He rushed for another 20. He's already a fan favorite. The fans were chanting, we want Johnny in the second quarter, which finally prompted the coaching staff to put him in. They didn't really move the ball, had a couple of three and outs, missed a two-point conversion while he was out there. Ended up getting benched again in the fourth quarter where Memphis forced overtime and came back to win. But in the post-game celebration, in the post-game press conferences and what have you, Johnny got a little emotional. Johnny thanked the fans for the support, for the love that they showed him. Said it means the world to him as he tries to get back on track with his career and his life. Either or, let's end the day with a little March Madness talk. We are through the first two rounds, on to the Sweet 16. How's your bracket looking? I got 13 of 16 teams right in the Sweet 16. I'll take that, 13 to 16, that's alright. My bracket's hanging in there. But for the first time ever, there is one perfect bracket through the first two rounds of the tournament. On to the Sweet 16, somebody got every matchup correct. No one's ever gone this far with a perfect bracket. And by the way, this year, over 281 trillion brackets were sent in. There's just one who's still 48-0. I don't think it's going to last, though, because he's got... Gonzaga and Kentucky playing in the national championship game. So looking at the Sweet 16, you have the top 12 seeds in the tournament all making it through. Again, we really haven't had that big upset yet. You've got all the ones, all the twos, all the threes that made it, two of the four seeds, one five seed, and a 12 seed, Oregon. Those are the teams that have all made the Sweet 16. Yesterday may have been the best day of the tournament. It started with the Iowa-Tennessee game. I tell you what, if Iowa didn't take the first 20 minutes of their tournament games off, they might have been a favorite to win this tournament because they made a furious comeback yesterday, down 25 at one point against the number two seed Volunteers, and they force overtime. Had a shot to win it down the stretch, but they go to overtime where Tennessee dominated the extra session. They go on to win it, and they go on to the Sweet 16. Here's your fact of the day. The only other time that Iowa and Tennessee had met in school history was the NCAA tournament in 2014. That was also an overtime victory for Tennessee. They also made the Sweet 16 that season. You gotta let the peacock fly. Give me mic'd up Frank Garza for every Iowa basketball game. Luca Garza's dad, you know the big post player that Iowa doesn't use nearly enough? Yeah, his dad needs to be mic'd up for every game. Let the peacock fly. That was my favorite part of yesterday. Although Duke and UCF, another fantastic one. My brother actually picked UCF to beat Duke. I think he's the only one in the country that had that. 
and he was maybe a rotation of the ball away from being right. I'm like, what's your thought process behind this? How does that work? Why, what did you see in UCF that made you think they could beat Duke? Because they probably should have, in all honesty. I thought Taco was going to get dominated by Zion. Taco held his own. We were maybe a spin of the ball away from everyone's brackets being busted. Because I had Duke as the national runner-ups this year. I still don't think they're going to win the title game. It's too perfect. But I didn't think they'd be tested until at least the Sweet 16, maybe the Elite Eight. It's too perfect for Duke to win the national championship. Just drawn up too perfectly. Won't happen. Still going with Carolina over Duke in the national championship. March Madness hit the coaching ranks yesterday as well. Ron Hunter announces that he is leaving Georgia State to take over the men's basketball job at Tulane. Georgia State made the tournament three of the last eight years, including this season. They were a 14 seed, got bounced by Houston in the first round. By the way, this is the farthest Houston has gotten since Phi Slamma Jamma back in 1984. So congrats to Ron Hunter on his new gig, but does it surprise you that he's going from Georgia State to Tulane? Like, how much of an upgrade is that? Not to disparage Tulane, but this is a coach who's been leading a school that's maybe not even a mid-major. They're like a kind of major in Georgia State, consistently leading them to the NCAA tournament. Shouldn't he be getting more high-profile gigs? Texas A&M is open. Nebraska is about to be open. Shouldn't Ron Hunter be a guy who's considered for those jobs? I tell you what, if he can build a winning tradition at Tulane like he has at Georgia State... He is not going to be a mid-major or a semi-major coach for very long. Alabama, another Power 5 job is open. Avery Johnson bought out of his contract as the Crimson Tide head coach yesterday. And a few years ago, he was with the Nets. Then he was with Alabama. And now he's out there. But he's so well-connected, even through the NBA, he won't be out of work very long. Wyking Jones is out as the head basketball coach at Cal, so that job is open. Some pretty attractive major colleges that are looking for a coach right now. Cal, Alabama, Nebraska will, although they seem to have their guy in Fred Hoiberg. Texas A&M would be another. I tell you what, I think Matt McMahon from Murray State will be the guy that Vanderbilt targets. But once their tournament run is over, look out for Kelvin Sampson from Houston and Buzz Williams for Virginia Tech. Those two could be some popular choices to fill some head coaching vacancies. I think Buzz Williams only has one job that he would leave Virginia Tech for right now, and that's Texas A&M. He graduated from Texas A&M Kingsville. It's not Texas A&M and College Station, but it's in that same system, and he was an assistant for the Aggies, Texas A&M in College Station. I think it's Buzz Williams' job if he wants it. But again, he's got something special at Virginia Tech right now, a team that used to be the doormat in the ACC, and now they're in the Sweet 16 for the first time since 1967. Going to play Duke. A little ACC showdown this weekend. I can't say enough how much I love this time of the year with everything going on, basketball, hockey, baseball's going to be starting here this week. Man, I can't wait. That is it for us, though, in the sports pen. We're going to have to at least wait until tomorrow. Appreciate you tuning in, as always. Hope you enjoyed the show. If you missed any part of the show, you can hear it on demand with our ESPN-UP app, which you can get for free from the Apple iStore or Google Play. That's it for us. Until tomorrow, I'm Tanner Hoops for ESPN-UP WZAM Ishpeming Marquette.